Uh, welcome to my Christmas show. We do this once a year. And yeah. And let's just observe Christmas. We're still doing Christmas, right? Yeah. Like literally this, this particular story, 2,000 years later, we're like you came to a Christmas gathering, right? Nobody came on a horse. We left that behind. None of you churn your own butter. We left that behind. But this particular story still endures. Are you with me on this? It's an odd, interesting story. So when you gather, even if it's in a club like this, you are in some strange way taking part in something that people have done for thousands and thousands of years. Maybe not with a lobby, you know, a DJ in the lobby. But other than that, isn't that fascinating? There's something about this story. So that's why I do the show once a year, because I think the story is fascinating. And I love the different angles. And tonight, I want to work through one particular angle of the Christmas story that I think a lot of people just don't know anything about, which I think is very interesting, especially in the times that we live in, because they're so sort of calm and... <laughs> ah, I was like, that might not work. It doesn't work. It's going to get quiet in here. But it did. Now, uh, part of the Christmas thing, but it did. Look at me evaluating things as I go. They like that. Uh, Part of the Christmas thing, at least in the world I come from, is that you give people gifts. So how many of you are all settled on that front? How many of you still have a bunch of people that you're like, I have no idea what to get them? Okay. Now, this is the point, And what I want to do now is an exercise. This is the point when you start running out of ideas. There are certain people you don't know. And so I would like to suggest re-gifting, where you just start wrapping things that you already have. So I have wrapped a number of things, and I would like to begin the show by giving them to you. So, uh, and let's, let's not recall it regifting. Let's call it passing on the blessing. How about this one? Keeping the goodness in circulation. Wait, are you just regifting this to me? No. I am participating in the great generative flow of the universe in which you receive and give. Uh, this one, what's this one? Uh, anybody here recently uttered the phrase, I'm just on a journey? There you go, right there. That guy. That guy just trying to be in the moment. Uh, now, this is interesting. See, people give me things throughout the course of the year. Uh, and various travels, etc. And so I thought, instead of just this stuff, I can't keep all of it, so I just said I'm going to wrap it up. So this right here, go ahead and open it there, young. What's your name? Eric. Eric. Merry Christmas, Eric. Uh, this, is, this is a heartfelt gift. <laughs> this is such a fantastic thing. This is Ram Das, grist for the mill. Oh, uh, um, a, an absolutely wonderful woman gave this to me after an event I was doing, and I opened it up, and it was underlined by her. And I was like, oh, I think this is yours. And she said, no, I only give people books I've read and underlined. Isn't that fascinating? So that's from her, and you'll, you'll sort of... You'll sort of see what struck her, apparently, <laughs> that maybe someday you can meet. Um, is anybody here deeply conflicted about social media? Yes. Okay. Wait, wait, you're pointing at the guy next to you. Okay. 
you right there, ma'am. Here we go. This is a. Uh, okay, this one right here. Oh, this one. Okay, I want you to, if you could please, what's your name? Shannon. Shannon. If you could just open that up and then read the title of this book in your outside voice. <laughs> Wait till you hear this title. Oh. Ten arguments for deleting all of your social media account right now. There you go. Okay. Um, uh, is there a surfer here and you have actually said to somebody recently, no, it's not a sport, it's more like a spiritual practice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this was given to me. This, I'm so happy to just re-gift this and pass this one along. And I don't know how much money I would pay to see you do. I know. Isn't it just like you don't even know what to say? Jesus on a surfboard. Oh. If you're like, do you understand if you're me and you do what I do and you talk about how much you love surfing, how many people are like, those two could go together? Uh, <laughs> does anybody here speak Turkish? <laughs> you speak Turkish and be wonder you've been wondering if love wins. <laughs> Is there anybody Brazilian who speaks Portuguese and you've been wondering if love wins? <laughs> This one is classic. The, the publisher that did a, a number of my previous books, has pub, they published some amazing authors. And so they have a wall of like all these books that they've published. And when I would go there to visit years ago, and I was walking out, they'd often say, hey, do you want any books? And I'm telling you, I mean, this my public, Harper One had done like uh, Dalai Lama, Bishop Tutu, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, Paolo Cello, The Alchemist, uh, Johnny Cash. You know what I mean? Like, I put those all in the same category. Um, <laughs> so I would literally just stuff every pocket and all that. So this um, is a rare collector's item, like hardcover situation of The Alchemist. Anybody? Oh, I don't know. If, yeah, that one just went. Is there anybody who speaks... <laughs> Is there anybody who has a CD player in their car and they speak English and have been wondering, what is the Bible? <laughs> uh, oh, this one. Um, I don't know how to even go. Okay, let me just tell you what this one. This is a guy, some, I don't know where, this gentleman comes up to me in an event and he has, he's a beautiful man with a long white beard and under the beard you can see in his black t-shirt it says in big letters heavily meditated <laughs> I just loved this man I felt like I was on the set of Lord of the Rings and he gave me these is there um yeah here we go right there feels about right wait till you see those uh oh this is so much fun oh I'm just, free, I'm just like, re I know, aren't those beads amazing? I was like, somebody, sh and uh, does anybody, 
over the holidays have time to read and you're like, I'd like a novel about a B-grade motivational speaker who has a meltdown. <laughs> a limited edition hardcover of my first novel, Millones Cojones. <laughs> Does anybody speak German and you wanna know what we talk about when we talk about God? Oh, no way, you do. My, did you say my grandma does? That is, oh, your friend does. Oh, great, well, then why don't you just give them this? I think it's German. Um, <laughs> oh, are there any Banksy fans here? Oh, okay, this, I was in Brazil, and I met this uh, graffiti crew who work with Jamus, who's like the Banksy of Brazil, and they know Banksy. I know, and this is a Jameis book, and if you like Banksy, Jameis will just completely blow your mind. Oh, thank you, like a whole shit, I know. That, <laughs> a whole shelf at my house is now empty, thank you. <laughs> now, uh, it's a Christmas show, so obviously we have to have gifts, but then we should have uh, some music so, uh, your new favorite band, please welcome Joseph. Yes! Yes! Last year we had so much fun. I think I was like, well, you guys want to come back next year? And I think yeah. in the heat of the moment, you were like, okay. <laughs> and then they got an email in November, like, remember when you committed? <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. We're delighted. We're so happy. We're delighted. So they, uh, we talked about a bunch of Christmas songs, and then they just do their Joseph thing on them. So, yeah. fantastic. Just do our oh. thing. Wow. <laughs> Hi. Wow. I uh, hadn't heard this song before, and then my family-in-law and I watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I was amazed, so. I didn't know go. that's where this came you from. You didn't? Okay. Well, well, here we are. Christmas is the time of year For being with the ones we love Sharing so much joy and cheer What a wonderful feeling Watching the ones we love Having so much fun I was sitting by the fireside Taking a walk through the snow Listening to a children's choir Singing songs about Jesus And the blessed way that he came to us Why can't it remain All through the year Each day the same That's what I wanna hear. It's truly amazing. 
that spirit of Christmas All the kinfolk gather round The lovely Christmas tree Hearts are glowing full of joy Since the gifts that we're giving And the love that we're living Why can't it remain? Why can't it remain? All through the year All through the year Each day the same That's what I want to hear It's truly amazing That spirit of Christmas That spirit of Christmas I want that spirit of Christmas Thank you. Thank you. The original is Ray Charles, so Definitely we are not him. Look that but. one up. Also, I was thinking, I was like, this is going to be recorded and archived, and so I will not mess up my words. Yes. No. So we've got so our Ali little... got the festive <laughs> folders. I know. I thought I, I felt like I was doing like a school project last night and I fell asleep halfway through and was like, that feels right. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. What's the note? Do, 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 do. That's the note.
mercy's day of glory in excelsis Deo. Okay, so I have this whole stuff I want to talk about, but I was thinking I need, I should have a friend come and just give us some good quotes about Christmas. And I have this one friend, anybody have a friend who's like a good quoter? <laughs> right? They always seem to have, like they seem to have read everything. I have a friend who's like Premier League quoting. Like you name the subject and he's just astoundingly well-versed. And not just he read it, but he understands it. So I said to my friend, will you come to my Largo show and just do a few Christmas quotes. So you may know him from music or television or something like that, but I think he's a world-class quoter. Please welcome Josh Radner. Yes! Would you like a stand or not? So you have Christmas quotes for us. Yeah, but I think part of the gag of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that I'm a Jewish person. <laughs> and that's, that's Rob's favorite. I, Rob and Kristen are very amused by the fact that as a Jewish person, that I have a great love for Jesus. But not in a... Should I explain my love for Jesus? I, or, or do I need to? Yeah, sure. Well, but I do believe in our kitchen yeah, recently, yeah. you said something along the lines of, if my parents knew. <laughs> well, I said that on your podcast, which they listen to, so they know now. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't struggle with it that much. I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, yeah, right. I'm not going to the seminary or anything. <laughs> but I, you know, I consider, I've talked to you about it. I, I consider Jesus like this great rabbi in my tradition that Jews won't talk about because people have killed us for a long time for not believing in him. So it's complicated. But I also think, as you said, Jesus, if you're interested in spirituality, like, don't you want to hear the greatest hits? Yeah. And Jesus said some of the best stuff. Yeah. Right? That. <laughs> when you came out without holding the sheet, I was like, oh, he's got it on him and he's going to bring it out at oh, some point. Yeah. The suspense. Right. Or that I haven't memorized, but that's not, that's not going to happen. Okay. Um, we did a whole podcast of quotes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quoting with Josh Radnor. I'm like your called. hype. I'm like your hype man for like it's another true. career. It's true. As a quoter. It's true. <laughs> I, I love Rob Bell. How great is this guy? It's such a it's such a gift to be friends with him and his wife. Really. All right. Here's the first quote. This is some truthful heresy, courtesy of the poet William Blake. Jesus Christ was the only God, and so am I, and so are you. How about that? Okay, this is, uh, this is courtesy of famed Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. 
Actually, none of these are direct Jesus quotes. These are quotes about Jesus. But he had some good quotes, so you should read him too. <laughs> Carl Jung, the whole point of Jesus' life was not that we should become exactly like him, but that we should become ourselves in the same way he became himself. Jesus was not the great exception, but the great example. Good, right? And this one I heard from the Rob cast, Alexander Shia. And he had said something like, the first part's a little paraphrased by me, but the second part is him. <laughs> it's funny, I was thinking about, like, I'm really in the holiday spirit, and I'm like, what does that mean? But for Jews, that's just like Chinese food in a movie. But, but I, do, I do feel my own version of the, the holiday spirit. So this is Alexander Shia. Christmas falls at the darkest moment of the year, but it's also at the very moment when light is once again made visible to the naked eye. The deepest dark is not the place where grace goes to die. The deepest dark is the place where grace goes to be reborn. Quotes. Quotes. Now, Rob Bell. Woo! That is the best. Uh, okay, so I, uh, I'm going to get, uh, what is this, a Christmas sermon? What are we doing here? I, I want to give you another way to think about the Christmas story. Sound good? Now, the Christmas story, there are two accounts of the Christmas story in the ancient world, and that's it. Jesus did not refer to his birth. Paul, none of the writers of the New Testament, the, the first sort of Jesus movement, none of them found Jesus' birth significant. The gospel writer John skips right over it, and the gospel writer Mark does not mention it. So uh, in the Jesus Christmas tradition, the only two accounts come from the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Matthew is like 32 verses. The gospel of Luke, 133-ish, not that we're counting. So <laughs> the entire Christmas tradition, which has endured for 2,000 years, in its own tradition, the birth of Jesus wasn't something that was really highlighted or focused much. And in its own tradition, there are only two different accounts of it, and that's it. Isn't it interesting? Are you with me on this? Now, why then, if it wasn't a big deal, did Luke and Matthew even include a bit of detail and some storytelling about Jesus' birth? So, when in doubt, show pictures. Now, in the ancient world, if somebody was significant, and somebody remade the world in some way, and if somebody was victorious or somebody was influential, generally they had a unique birth story. That was common 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean basin. So if you were making claims that this person is important, significant, they should be listened to, they did something monumental, they offered new insight into what it means to be human, if they had just an average birth story, in the ancient world, you'd be like, that's not how it works. You've got to have something special. So Alexander the Great, Al G, had a coin minted. Can you see the ram's horns there? Alexander the Great conquers the world in, what, you know this, B.C., what, 323? Alexander the Great has coins minted of his face with horns which represented Zeus because it was very important for him to put the message out that he was the son of Zeus, the son of God. How else 
would he have this divine-like power to conquer the world. And coins were like the Twitter of the day. This is how you let people know that you're in charge. Now, so most great leaders would mint coins and have propaganda, have songs written about them to help bolster the story that their birth was unique, leading to their uniqueness as a conqueror, liberator, uh, divine leader, etc. Now, Julius uh, Caesar uh, had a series of coins minted. Next slide. Here is a Caesar coin with Venus on one side because central to the story of Julius Caesar Roughly 50 years before the birth of Christ, it was important for everybody to know that Caesar had divine help and that he was actually an ancestor of the goddess Venus. So if you're telling a story in the ancient Near East, Mediterranean Basin, 2,000 years ago, to a number of Greeks and Romans, if you're trying to tell a story about somebody who you believe is significant, you're probably going to tell a story involving their birth because a lot of people wouldn't even listen unless you had an interesting birth story in there. And the birth story and the details about the birth story, for example, Alexander the Great comes from Zeus, which means he's powerful and he's a victor and he is about war and uh, defeating the enemy. So part of the birth narrative loaded into it would be giving you hints and clues and helping you understand something about the nature of this particular person's rule. Now, with that background, one of the two accounts we have of the Christmas story, the Gospel of Luke, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, when it says Nazareth, a town in Galilee, let's look at a map. Now, this is important to understand. Hang with me here. This town in Galilee was in a land called Israel, also called Palestine. And at that time, this land, 2,000 years ago, try to imagine, was a very politically volatile place. <laughs> so go with me on this and imagine. Now, to give you an idea how volatile politically this particular narrow strip of land was, let me show you a few dates. Let's go history lecture for a second. In 722 BC, the Assyrians had conquered this section of land. In 597, the Babylonians. In 538, the Persians. In 332, the Greeks. And in 198, the Seleucids. And then eventually in 63, Pompeii and the Romans came in. So every major global military superpower had marched through this narrow little stretch of land in the past, what, 700 years and conquered everybody in sight. They had been oppressed by one empire after another. This little narrow strip of land was essentially between Asia to the east, Europe to the north, and Africa to the south. So anybody heading through the major axes of the world would have gone through this little narrow stretch of land. So when Luke tells you a story about a virgin named Mary, she happens to live among a small, marginalized group of Jewish people who have been conquered by one empire and kingdom after another. How are we doing so far? It makes the pageant with the animals and the kids in sheets seem a little neutered. Are you with me on this? Now, next slide. 
To give you an idea what it was like when the Romans came into this little stretch of land, here's Josephus, a first century uh, uh, sort of storyteller, historian, in his War 4, chapter 9, verse 1. I know you have this memorized, but let's review class. (laughs) This is a classic example of what happens when the Romans marched into this area. Vespasian, Roman general, sent Lucius Annius to Gersa, which was a small city just over the Sea of Galilee from where Mary would have grown up. Uh, He slew a 1,000 of these young men. He took their families captive and permitted his soldiers to plunder them of their effects, after which he set fire to their houses and went away to the adjoining villages while the men of power fled away. The weaker part were destroyed, and what was remaining was all burnt down. So you have first century accounts. When the Romans came, they just, they killed everybody. The most powerful people fled. Otherwise, the houses and the entire villages were just burned to the ground. There was even a moment when the Romans went into the temple area, the central sort of religious space of Mary's people. And once again, Josephus records what happens when a group of soldiers went nuts. Next slide. In the temple area. Everywhere was slaughter and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round the altar, the most holy place, The heaps of bodies grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood, and the bodies of those killed at the top slithered to the bottom. Welcome to my Christmas show. (laughs) Right. So when Luke says, Mary came from a town called Nazareth in the Galilee, which was in a land called Israel, he's speaking of a young woman who comes from a particular piece of land that had been oppressed, victimized, and destroyed by more violence year after year after year that can even be recorded. Now, let's go back to the story. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Lord's with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words (laughs) and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Yeah. Now, in the ancient world, if you were highly favored and you were chosen, it was for what? to lead, to go into battle, right? To step out and do something brave and courageous. What did that mean in this region at this time? I assume it meant you'd probably end up dead. There is something about the angel. If you're an angel, are you like, wait, what? This isn't supposed to work this way. God is with you, huh? There's like a deep sort of, she's troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Next slide. But the angel said to her, Oh, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, which was a Roman term for the Caesars. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will, be, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, uh, generally in the Mediterranean basin at this time, and in the ancient world, uh, when a, when a woman's body became ready to have kids, she was married. And that generally, uh, general estimate is that Mary would have been, because she's betrothed, Mary would have probably been 13 or 14. Life expectancy at this time was about 35 to 40. So Jesus actually dies an old man. As a 33-year-old, you're in the, the last days of life. So Jesus is an older man in that culture, dispensing the wisdom of somebody who's actually lived a long time. So you have, what, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl being told, you 
have God's favor, you are going to have a baby, and that baby will have a kingdom that will never end. Now, something to put in the back of the mind for a little bit later, what does a kingdom mean in Mary's world? And what you've seen about slaughter and conquering, you can see where kingdom would have been like, uh, really? Next slide. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. She's a practical, good Jewish girl. I was like, yeah, but there's a couple of details that I'm a little fuzzy on. How is this going to work? Now, uh, next slide. Let's get all King James translation for a minute. Then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? (laughs) No in the biblical sense. Next, uh, let's do Young's literal translation. And Mary said unto the messenger, how will this be, seeing a husband I do not know? (laughs) Let's do some more, shall we? Uh, What's this one? Let's look at the Mount's reverse interlinear New Testament translation. Some of you are like, what's that? I know. Nobody in this meeting went, let's call it something else. Anyway, next. The Mount's reverse interlinear New Testament. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I have no sexual relationship with a man? Poetic, isn't it? Next slide. Uh, International Children's Version. How will this happen? I am a virgin. Is that awesome? Is that just frozen too, right? And then my personal favorite, which I guarantee will be yours, the Orthodox Jewish Bible, but Miriam said to the Malach, how will this be since I do not have Das of Das of an ish. Uh, ish, man in Hebrew, isha, uh, woman, ish, isha, but I do not have das of an ish. Oh. Try that out on Tinder. So, uh, where am I going with this? Uh, oh, yeah, thank you. Now, the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary uh, is a Greek translation of a Hebrew name, Miriam. Um, which is also spelled Miriam with two M's and an I and an R. So Mary, Miriam, Miriam, uh, this name had some history to it. So interesting question, why was she named? <laughs> why? <laughs> Test the props beforehand. <laughs> why was she called Mary? Were there other Marys? And what do we know about the history of the name Mary? And does that paint a bit broader of a picture of who Mary is? Because she's a good Jewish girl. She probably had good Jewish parents who would have given her a good Jewish name that sort of carried on the ancestry and the heritage of her people. Now, there were two famous Marys that Mary's parents would have known about that were sort of legendary, and perhaps Mary was named Mary because of these two Marys. So I want to show you what the word, the name, means, but in order to do that, I want to first talk about a couple of very famous Marys that were in Mary's sort of tradition that might give a little bit of uh, sort of depth to the name Mary. So first, there was a Mary, Miriam, who was the sister of Moses. In Torah, we find of her in Exodus, But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. So you have these slaves. 
they're liberated. It's like the giant opening story of these Hebrew people. They're enslaved in Egypt, and their God, the God of the underdog, the God of the oppressed, the God who hears the cry of the slave, reaches into Egypt and rescues them in grace and mercy. They walk through the sea on dry ground, as the story goes. And then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, also Moses' sister, took a timbrel in her, plugged it into an amp, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them. So our Mary, Jesus' mother Mary, would have grown up in a tradition that would have told this story in a regular reading of Torah, and the story would have been about Miriam who took part in the great liberation. Now, earlier in Mary's history, her people had been oppressed by a foreign power, and they had been liberated by their God. And now, generations later, they're oppressed by a foreign power. Can you see how the name Miriam would have had some political and spiritual power to it? Yes, it spoke... Maybe our God could liberate us again. And this image of Miriam dancing on the shore, leading everybody in singing. She's like the, she's like the ultimate music leader of the resistance and the revolution. She is joy. She is freedom. She is release from captivity. Then we see in Numbers, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, you know where that is, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Here's a picture of the desert of Zin. So this name, Miriam, Mary, would have been this massive hero in Mary's tradition who was like the music leader of the revolution and the resistance and the liberation, but she also dies. And the thing about the desert of Zin is the desert of Zin is not the promised land. She's with a group of wandering slaves who are trying to get to the promised land, and she doesn't ultimately make it. She dies short of the goal. So Miriam carried this joyous freedom and the ache of not seeing your dreams fulfilled. Miriam would have had these elements all sort of circulating around her name. How are we doing so far? Now, there's another famous Miriam, Mary, who lived much closer to the time of Mary. Now, in order to tell you about this Mary, we got to go back to our history lesson. 722, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. Then you know the Seleucids who knocked off the Ptolemies, and they were a pain anyway. But then the Seleucids had a leader named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he basically wanted to make the whole world Greek, and he realized that these Jewish people and part of his kingdom were resistant to the idea of being made Greek. So he basically made it more and more illegal to be Jewish and was vicious and ultimately ended up destroying their temple, which was called, what he did was called the abomination of desolation. So Antiochus Epiphanes was brutal. A group of Jewish rebels called the Maccabeans in 167 revolted against this global military superpower and the Maccabeans won and they liberated their land. The odds 
Oh, by the way, and there was this whole tradition about when they finally reclaimed the temple, they only had a little bit of oil, but it kept the lamps burning for an extremely long period of time, which is where we get the Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. So the Maccabeans led, essentially, the Maccabean revolt for this brief period of time. Out of the Maccabeans arose a Jewish family called the Hasmoneans. We're going somewhere with this. And the Hasmoneans ruled an independent Israel for roughly 103 years. So you can imagine, after years and years and years of being conquered, to have this little window of independence and freedom. We have no boot on our neck. The Hasmoneans were legendary. And then eventually the Romans came and took over, and the Romans were asking the question, well, who's going to rule this far-off land, Israel, for us? And they said, we need a puppet king. So the Romans found an, a guy from Idumea named Herod, last name the Great, <laughs> middle name Saint Nick. And uh, they found this warrior, fearless, brilliant, nasty, innovator, brutal conqueror named Herod the Great. So Herod the Great takes over ruling Israel but he has these Hasmoneans, and he's wondering, how do I make peace with them? The Hasmonean daughter of the king was a princess, and her name was Mary. So Herod, in order to make peace with the Hasmoneans, to try to create peace in the land, marries the princess of the Hasmoneans. Her father was the great uh, Aristobulus who uh, was an uncle to Hyrannicus II, as opposed to Hyrannicus I. Big difference there. So Mary, and the one thing we know from history is we have a description of that Miriam, and we have a coin. Now, the description is that she was unusually beautiful. So everybody, Mary, the princess of the ruling family, was beautiful. We also have a coin inscription. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> so there, just a few, a couple of decades before the Christmas story, there was a very famous Jewish princess who was known to be beautiful named Mary who came from a legendary family who had brought independence to a people who desperately wanted it. Now, <laughs> let's do a bit of Days of Our Lives. Herod and Miriam... Married in 45 BCE. Miriam insisted that her brother Aristobulus be made a priest. Herod said okay to please his new wife, appointed him a priest, and then a year later, Herod had him drowned in the family pool. He drowned his wife Mary's brother in the pool. In uh, a few years later, by the year seven, uh, he had her two sons executed. Then uh, Herod, and this gets really, really, really dodgy. Herod went on a trip, and he put Mary's uncle Joseph in charge of her and said to Joseph, if I die on my trip, execute my wife. Then when he came back, he found out that Joseph told Mary, Miriam, um, Herod told me to execute you if he dies. And when Herod found this out, he had her beloved uncle Joseph executed, and then when she confronted on it, he said, 
Um, I'm just so devoted to you. I can't imagine you with somebody else, which didn't work well for her. <laughs> by the way, this is all recorded by Josephus in first century. Also, her mother, Alexandra, became panicked and was terrified that Herod was going to kill Miriam. So she wrote a letter to Cleopatra. Cleopatra, to review... So Mary's mother is writing letters to Cleopatra saying, please protect my daughter from her husband, Herod the Great. Let's keep going. Then Herod goes to Rhodes to meet with uh, Caesar Augustus, and he puts a different caretaker in charge of Miriam and says, if I die on my trip, execute Miriam. <laughs> he returns... And she won't have sex with him. I'm telling you, this is all there in history. We're just telling you history. He comes home, and she's a bit cold and distant, will not have sex with him. And he says, why are you so far from me? And she says, because I found out that while you, when you left, you said that when, if you die, I would be executed. And he said, who told you this? And she gave the name of her favorite eunuch. So he tortured her favorite eunuch and then executed him just to let her know that he was in charge. And then Herod's sister Salome said to him, oh, Mary wants to poison you. There's no evidence of this. Mary's going to poison you and kill you. So Herod brought his wife Miriam to trial, had her convicted in a court, and then he executed her in the year 29. So Mary was a name of a beautiful princess from a ruling family who had brought joy and freedom and liberation to her people, who had also gone through the horrific suffering of being married to Herod the Great, who pretty much killed everybody he came in contact with. And the reason why I tell you that is the name Mary in Hebrew looks like this. And if you look at all the etymology accounts of what the name means, you find there are two streams that seem to come together in this name Miriam. Some people believe the, word, the name has Egyptian roots. Others say it's just straight Hebrew. But what you find is that the name gets translated and comes from the idea of beloved or uniquely loved. And it also translates sea of sorrows or ocean of sadness. So this name Mary in the first century referred, there were two famous Marys, and the word itself carried with it this idea of greatness, liberation, freedom, joy, and sorrow, and burden. Thank you. You've been great. <laughs> now, yeah, so when Luke, in the first century, tells you a story about a young girl named Mary there's a bit of history there. Are you with me? Now, let's go back through this story. So to this girl at this time with this history swirling around her, uh, don't be, have no fear, Mary. You're going to have a son, and he's going to have a throne, and he's going to reign over a kingdom. Next slide. Look, let's look at those words for a second. Oh, Mary, Relax. You're going to have a son who's going to have a throne and who's going to reign and have a kingdom. Is relax the word that comes to mind in the first century surrounding these words? You see what I mean? Yeah, a throne. Okay, this, there's just blood everywhere. The soil is soaked in this. 
hey, you are highly favored. Guess what? You get to be the mother of a ruler. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes, the Christmas story is has this sort of gloss to it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The nativity scene in the town square. God sent Jesus to save the world. (gasps) And then you read the story, and Mary's not saying, awesome. You can see this like, what will this require? What am I getting into here? Where is this going to take me? Next slide. I think... uh, Greetings, you are probably favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be the mother of a revolution. That's heavy, right? That's heavy. Yeah, that's not all dancing and singing on the shore. Yeah, that's Mary. That's going to have a sea of sorrows somewhere in there. Or this line, uh, At the end of this section of Luke's, um, when Mary first finds out, the way that she responds is, I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May it be according to your word. It's like a 13-year-old Jewish girl goes, all right then, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it's like there's almost like a sober, it's almost like there's a sober bass note to the whole thing. You, you want to give birth to something new? Yeah, it's, it, it might be a bit messy. I, you you want to be the mother of a revolution? Yeah, that might be a bit complicated. You might end up getting your heart broken. Yeah, there's like a, a no, I, 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 am, I am the Lord's servant. It's like, oh, oh yeah, this is going to require tremendous courage on the part of this Mary. Because she has no idea where this is going to head. And, by the way, her child at the end is executed as an enemy of the state. Orange jumpsuit Guantanamo Bay-ish. And his disciples have all fled. And who's still hanging around? His mother. His mother. And every mother knows that. You stick there to the end. Yeah. Now, years ago, uh, I think it's like 15 years ago, this uh, extraordinary painter named Stephen Thomas sent me a letter. And he said, uh, I've been listening to your sermons, so I decided to read the Bible for the first time. And he said, I started reading it, and I'm telling you, everybody has Mary wrong. Everybody missed Everybody gets Mary wrong. And then wrapped up in this big package was a painting that he did. So I want to show you the painting that Stephen Thomas sent me. Ready? Mary. See, something about you is like, as the French would say, quoi? And, and then, and, and honestly, tell me this. Something about you is like, huh? And then something within you is like, oh. Right? Yeah. Is he on it or what? Look at her hands. Yeah. Yeah, like the courage of Mary. Birth of something new. Anybody here trying to do something new? Yeah. Yeah. Difficult, isn't it? Yeah. By the way, this is why uh, social media makes you crazy. 
is because it doesn't require courage. You can spout off about how the world should be. You want to make a new world? You want to be part of a new birth? It's going to be bloody and messy. Generally, that's how these sorts of things work. Anybody with me on this? This is the problem, is it's very, very easy now to spout off about all sorts of things. But this is a story about courage. The Lord's servant. It's like, okay, I'm up for it. I'm, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. And in the end, she's the one who's there. Yeah. So if you were uh, to talk to Luke, what is this story about? Luke might say, well, at this time, there were dominant stories about how the world is made better. And those stories always involve exclusion, hierarchy, and violence. And the Jesus story is about inclusion. It is about, no, it is the lack of hierarchies. In a world that everything was ranked, a Jesus comes along and welcomes everybody nonviolently. Luke's gospel spins, or oftentimes the story revolves around women, often because women are a step ahead. Yeah, and God, in his story, over and over again, women pay Jesus bills in the Gospel of Luke. Women are there to the very end. Women are the ones who say, hey, this story isn't over. Again and again and again, in a culture that devalued and uh, took the rank away from women, Luke tells a Gospel in which Jesus is consistently raising women up to be leaders, to be revolutionaries. Yeah, yeah. This story is about the birth of a new way to be human, and births take courage, and they're often fairly messy. That's how a new world gets created. And I would say this Christmas, uh, we're all acutely aware of all of the ways in which things feel like they're going off the rails. But for us to continue the ongoing work of creation will always require people to humbly step up not spouting off about all the ways, but saying, okay, I'll be a servant here. What's the next thing to do? Yeah, this, this is Mary. This is Mary. Anybody here trying to do something new, something fresh, trying to include somebody who's been kicked to the edges, trying to do something non-violently, trying to do something that embraces everyone. It's a bit difficult. Perhaps the Christmas story for you is, yeah, welcome to how it works. Welcome to how it works. Yeah, and may grace and peace be with you. It's two Marys, and then there's Mother Mary. Yeah. So it feels like we have, should have another song. Are you with me on this? Yeah. And, uh, oh, I should also say, if you're listening to a recording of this and you're like, ah, show me the painting, uh, I'll put it on social media. <laughs> Is, oh, nice. You're going to do one more? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Oh, holy night. Ladies and gentlemen, once more, Joseph. Sin and 
will go on your next speaking of next album this is their first show in quite a while because they've been recording an album so thank you for making your comeback thank you for making your stage comeback at my Christmas show it's so beautiful I'm uh yeah I know I'm so glad you joined Mary and I for my Christmas show so much fun people for thousands of years have been gathering around this story because it filled them with something, right? And I guess at Christmas, my mission is always to reclaim these sort of neutered, passive 
features and get back to like the rage against the machine revolution of it because that's the kind of story we actually need now. Are you with me on this? So my brothers and sisters, may you get really good at re-gifting. Participating in the generative flow in which it comes and then it goes. May you find... Mary and the baby Jesus story in your own joy and sorrow, in your own liberation and troubles. May you embrace the spirit who's found in all of it. May this story of a baby being born remind you that the story isn't over and that for thousands of years there have been people of faith and hope and love who regardless of who was in power, regardless of who was in power, kept their head up and their heart open because we're all invited to say, I am your servant, let's do this. And may grace and peace be with you this Christmas season now more than ever. Thanks for coming. Good night.